Good morning, everybody, and welcome to First Presbyterian Church. We're glad that you're with us on this Christmas Eve, fourth Sunday of Advent. Please take time to look over the announcements in your bulletins. Uh, the main ones being that our Christmas Eve candlelight and communion service will be this evening at 5 p.m. Uh, obviously, we'll observe the sacrament of the Lord's Supper during that service, so take some time this afternoon to prepare your hearts for that. We will also observe the sacrament of the Lord's Supper next Sunday morning, and we will have our fifth Sunday dinner immediately after the service next week, so please make plans uh, to attend that with us. That's all I have by way of announcements. Merry Christmas. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Please take a few moments to prepare your hearts to worship the living and true God. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Uh, would you please stand for our call to worship and take note that this is a responsive call to worship. So if you have a bulletin, I will read the non-bolded parts and I invite you to read the bolded parts with me. This is from Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of the great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you please pray with me? God, what a wonderful morning to be in your house to worship you. Uh, you are due all glory and praise and honor, and we are grateful that you have brought us here to worship. 
So would you lead this service by the power of your spirit? Would you fill us with your spirit so that we are overflowing as we leave this place, overflowing with your grace, your mercy, your love, so that others would know us by your love and by the peace that you give us. Again, we thank you for this time of worship, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would remain standing, we'll sing our first hymn together, which is hymn 208, O Come All Ye Faithful. Let's sing hymn 208.
We'll continue worshiping God by confessing our faith together. And in your bulletin, again, you'll find the Apostles' Creed, which we believe is a wonderful summary of what God has taught us about himself, about us, about salvation, about the world. So if you would, would you join me in reciting this Apostles' Creed? Believer, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalm 107, verses 1 through 9. If you'd like, you can turn there and follow with me. Psalm 107, this is God's word. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. If you would, please join me for a time of prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Father, on this Christmas Eve, it is good to be here with you by your Spirit's power. It's right to ponder your grace, to consider anew the riches of your love for us, to worship you in spirit and truth. God, you've given us the gift of your Son, Jesus, and in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily And we have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And so as your church, we pray and say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, Lord, you predestined us for adoption to yourself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of your will, to the praise of your glorious grace, which you've blessed us in the beloved. This is wonderful, encouraging, incredible news, Father. And in you, Jesus, we have redemption through your blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of your grace. And God, as we celebrate this Christmas tradition. We know that in your word you have told us in the fullness of time 
You came to seek out the lost and bring light to the blind. So God, we pray that when we wake up tomorrow on Christmas Day, that you would renew our trust in your promises, knowing that because of the incarnation of Jesus, we have hope that cannot be taken away. God, in this hope and in this blessing, we remember your people here in this local church, and we think of and we thank you for successful procedure for Linda Wiggins. God, we consider the missionaries of the emails that we get during the week of the news of all the missionaries that this church supports and all the work that they're doing, all the struggles that they face. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would protect them, that you would give them a great time together as families during this Christmas season. Lord, we pray that you would bless the church planters that we support and that are active across this country and across the world. We pray that you would protect your people worshiping you in churches throughout the world, especially in countries that hate you, that hate your followers. We pray that you would bring to nothing the evil plans of the devil and his followers. Lord, we pray that you would protect the people of this church as we travel, as we visit friends and family, even just in town or across the state, across the country. God, would you give traveling mercies and protect us so that we can enjoy the presence of those whom we love. God, we pray again that you would bless us, that you would be with us, that you would lead us, and that you would guide us in this time of worship. And we pray now the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand for our next hymn, which is hymn 225, Once in Royal David's City. Let's stand and sing hymn 225.
You may be seated. As you're seated, we'll take up our tithes and offerings this morning, and we give our tithes and offerings in response to God's grace to us and his blessing. So as God has been good to you, give back to him this, at this time.
Please pray with me. God, all our lives we are learning how to accept the gift of your grace in your Son, Jesus Christ, applied to us by the Spirit. Lord, it is hard to accept this gift, and it's only possible by you. So as we receive your gift to us, this great blessing, this life that you have given us, as we receive it, as we live it out, would you cause us to overflow in generosity, that we would give back to you, to your church, for the things that you are doing in this town and across the world. So God, we are grateful for the gift that you have given us in your Son. And we pray that we, you would take these tithes and offerings and make great use of them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I invite you to turn with me now to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be reading verses 46 through 53. But before I read it, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time to, to sit under the authority of your word to hear it read, to hear it proclaimed. And so we ask now as we do so that you would send your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 53, hear God's word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And this ends the reading of God's Word. So this Advent, uh, we've, I've been working through a sermon series I've entitled Jesus Speaks. We've seen that Jesus speaks our language. He speaks to our humanity. He speaks to our deepest needs, and this morning I want us to see that Jesus speaks to our longings. One of my daughters and I were unpacking some books this past week. Yes, I am still unpacking books. It is insane, and it made me so happy. But as I was doing so, she had the either fortunate or unfortunate privilege, depending on how you look at it, to hear my thoughts on several books as I'm getting them. Oh, this book. I remember this, this, and this about this. Oh, and this book. And one of those was a collection of short stories by Amy Hempel, who is one of my favorite short story writers, if not my favorite. And she has the distinction of having written the only short story I've ever memorized in toto. I know the whole thing, but it's one sentence. So I'm not really saying much. 
But she says, just once in my life, oh, when have I ever wanted something just once in my life? And the reason that one little sentence is powerful, why she can get published with one sentence when I can't get published, no matter what I come up with, is that it speaks to human nature. It speaks to our longings. We are an endless well of wants. Our lives are an endless line of longings. In Mary's words in the Magnificat that we've read from, speak precisely to this. You know, Christmas time can be, it can put our longings and our wants on display in 4K. I mean, I don't know what your house is like, but Christmas time can be like a circus for me. You're just running around, you have all these things you want to get for people who have wants and desires and longings, and they're running around trying to get things for people who have wants and desires and longings and so on and so on. Mary says in our passage in verse 53, and this is the main verse we're going to look at this morning, He has filled, God has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. She is talking about longing as a sort of hunger. And she's answering the question, how can our longings be fulfilled? How can our hunger be satisfied? How can we get filled up on the inside? How can we get filled up with good things? That's the question. Three points to get us there. I want to talk about what this hunger is that Mary describes. Why we can't seem to get filled up in spite of our hunger. And then finally, how we can be filled up. So number one, what is this hunger that Mary describes? So when Mary contrasts the hungry with the rich, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. She is drawing on a deep biblical concept. Mary knows her Old Testament very well. And in the Old Testament, covenants were often made by sharing a meal. Now think about Daniel refusing to eat at the king's table. There's been all kinds of speculation about why wouldn't Daniel eat the king's food? And the answer is really simple. And it's that sharing a meal with the king was entering into covenant with him. And Daniel was in covenant with God and he wasn't going to enter into the covenant with the king. Food and drink are talked about all over the Old Testament as being extremely significant for the life of the believer. Psalm 42, 1. The psalmist says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So Mary is drawing on this line of biblical argument about the importance of hunger and foods. Mary was a worshiper. She said, My soul magnifies the Lord. She uses the Greek word, well, the the Greek New Testament uses the phrase megalune. This is her song of mega praise. This is her giving everything she has to God. And we learn from it that Mary was an amazing woman, as we know. She was a student of the Bible. Her prayer is filled with Old Testament quotations and allusions from all over the place in the Old Testament. And this part of verse 43, 53, that we've read about the hungry and the rich is almost a direct quotation of Psalm 107, 9, which we read earlier in the service. It says, God satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry he fills with good things. See, that passage isn't talking about physical hunger. It's talking about hunger in the soul. It's inner hunger. It's the hungry soul, the longing soul. 
In Psalm 107, this phrase longing applied to the soul is the English translation of a Hebrew word that means to run around or to rush to and fro. It's describing a soul that's running around looking for something better. A soul that's running around searching for meaning, for purpose, for answers, searching to make sense of life and be satisfied. Like Christmas shoppers running around to find a present. It's describing a soul looking for something that will give it significance and satisfy it. Like a hungry man digging in a dumpster for food. Psalm 107 describes a hungry soul looking for something that will give it purpose. There's another book uh, that I unpacked with one of my favorites, that's, and I've referenced it before, and I'll reference it many times more. But it's called Autobiography of a Face by Lucy Grayley. And it's one of the best illustrations of a hungry soul that I've ever seen. It's her memoir. Lucy grew up in the 60s and 70s, and she contracted jaw cancer when she was a very small girl. And the book is called Biography of a Face because she chronicles her struggles with the fact that because of the cancer and dozens of surgeries throughout the course of her life, her face was deformed. And especially as a young woman, she had to wrestle with the fact that she didn't look like other people. And there's a chapter in the book called The Tao of Laugh-In. And Lucy talks about how as a six-year-old, she became obsessed with death, scared of death. She thought about it all the time. And she, this is a quote. She said, why had I been born if this was the terrible end we had to look forward to? My six-year-old self was privately obsessed with my terrors and questions when salvation appeared in the most surprising place, the television show Laugh-In. A repeating skit was the scenario of a ragged, exhausted man climbing to the top of a large mountain. At the peak sat a man with a long gray beard. The climber would reach the top and ask the guru, Master, what is the meaning of life? And she says, of course, the answer was a silly one, like the meaning of life is the sound of one hand clapping, usually resulting in the climber falling off the mountain. Then I saw a National Geographic program that located this mountain with its guru in an actual place called Tibet. Immediately I went to my father, as a six-year-old, remember. Daddy, how much would a plane ticket to Tibet, Tibet cost? I asked, offering no explanation. He pretended to think and make calculations and answered, one million dollars. I thanked him and left. For a six-year-old, a million dollars was unintelligible. But I decided to start saving. For a long time, I put myself to sleep at night by imagining the mountain, the long, arduous climb. I counted off each step the way other people counted sheep. And each night that I made it to the top, I'd ask my question, longing with each step to hear the answer. Truth was something that existed. It's just that it lived so far away. See, that's a hungry, longing soul seeking answers. So hungry that she wanted to 
climb a mountain to get answers, even if it meant at the top she was going to get nothing and get thrown off. But she's still saving up for the trip. But here's the problem. There are plenty of people who have hungry, longing souls like this who don't get filled up with good things. And she was one of them, sadly. She continued to struggle with her deformed face and with the pain that she experienced. And she took so many pain pills. Eventually those pain pills turned into heroin. And eventually that heroin turned into an overdose that took her life. I don't even think she was 40 yet when she died. A longing soul that never found satisfaction. Why couldn't she find it? Well, that leads to our second point. What keeps us from being filled up with good things in spite of our longings? And here's Mary's answer in the Magnificat. It's riches. It's riches. The word literally means to have an abundance. What keeps us from being filled up with good things is that we already think we're filled up with good things. Or that we're going to things that aren't good, mistaking them for good things. It's that we're looking for those good things somewhere other than God. Lucy Grayley thought she needed to go to Tibet and find some guru who would fill her with good things. Jesus describes this when he talks to the lukewarm church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. He says, you say, I'm rich. I've prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You say, I'm rich. I know where to find riches. I know where to find good things. And God says, wrong. You're poor. You've looked for your riches in the wrong place. The checks you try to cash from those places are always going to bounce. They're always going to say insufficient funds. Now, there's a scene in the classic 90s movie, The American President, where President Shepard, who's played by Michael Douglas, is a widower, and he started dating a woman. And he's the president. How would you like to be that woman? Right? It's all over the news. And his opponent in the upcoming election is attacking the president because of the woman he's dating. And the president won't address it. He says he's going to stay silent. He's not going to go to the media. He's not going to feed the circus. He's not going to feed the fodder. And his main aide, Louis Rothschild, who is played by Michael J. Fox, has this intense meeting with the president where he says... Mr. President, people want leadership. And in the abundance of genuine leadership, they'll listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. They want leadership. They're so thirsty for it, they'll crawl through the desert toward a mirage. And when they discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. You look at our world. It's a hungry world. People are longing. But they're longing so much that when they can't find water, they'll start drinking sand. Why? President Shepard's response in the movie, he says they'll drink sand because they don't know the difference. They don't know the difference. And so in life, this means that people turn to their careers. They turn to their families. They turn to their children. They turn to their hobbies, trying to find something that will satisfy their longing souls. Trying to find real food not realizing that at the end of the day, it can't hold up the weight. It's sand. KFC used to have, I remember the commercials, a $5 fill-up. And I think it's like a $20 fill-up now because of the economy, but I digress. But that's what we want. Something cheap, something easy, something that will fill me up. 
We'll climb a mountain searching for meaning. Even if we know that at the end we're going to get pushed off. You know, young men are turning to mushrooms and psilocybin and DMT and every other old school drug that's out there. Young men and women are turning to social media to fill themselves up, you know, to find the next guru who can give them their answers to life. Uh, to find popularity with likes and shares. You know, President Eisenhower once said, popularity is like a perfume. It smells great, but you should never drink it. But people turn to social media to find connection, to find meaning, to drink down the perfume of popularity, hoping that it's something that will fill them up with good things, only to find that it's sand. It's relational junk food. That doesn't mean that it's evil in and of itself. not saying that at all. It's saying if that's where you go to tap your ultimate meeting, you're going to find at the end of the day you're going to get pushed off the mountain. Matt Nisley, who's a Christian artist, gave one of the best summaries of what happens with social media I've, I've ever seen from a Christian perspective. He said, Our society has begun to treat our relational needs much the same way we've come to treat our physical needs. When we're hungry, rather than take the time to cook a well-balanced, filling meal, we rush to grab something out of the freezer that we can quickly nuke and then eat while watching TV or finishing up some work. And when we're relationally hungry, so often rather than sitting down with our children or spouse to hear about their day or setting up a dinner date with a good friend, we open Facebook or Twitter and browse through the recent post of the day, stopping to click like or shoot off some quick replies, or we look to see if a picture posted on Instagram earlier that day has been commented on much. And if it was, that temporarily fills us up until we darken our phone and crawl into bed with the same dissatisfied, empty feeling that we went to bed with the day before. I heard Louis C.K. Louis say one time, Human, humanity is plagued with an inner forever empty, just forever empty. And we keep looking for stuff to fill us up. Why do we keep doing it? It's because we're looking for riches in the wrong places. C.S. Lewis said, Spiritual nature, like bodily nature, will be served. Deny it food, and it will gobble poison, because it has to have something. We're so hungry, we'll climb to the top of a mountain, knowing we're going to get pushed off at the end. We're so hungry we will eat sand because we don't know the difference between sand and real food. Denied food, we will gobble poison. So here's the question. Point three. How can we know the difference? How can we get real food? How can we truly be filled up with good things? Here's the answer. Jesus said in John 6, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats bread he will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh Jesus is saying the only true spiritually satisfying food that exists is found in his death in his flesh given for us how can that be when our passage Mary says God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 
When she says the rich, he has sent away empty. The Greek word for empty is kinos. It's a famous Greek word because it's the root of the word kenosis. Kenosis is a Greek word, one of those Greek words that's had all kinds of controversy over exactly what it means throughout the history of the church, specifically because of Philippians chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul talks about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, about him becoming a man. Let me read the passage in question from Philippians 2 for you, starting in verse 6. It says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. That's the key phrase. But made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that phrase, made himself nothing, is from kanao, which is from the root kinos. And so this debate in the history of the church is exactly what does it mean when Jesus emptied himself? When Jesus made himself nothing, as the ESV translates it. And you can see this debate play out, for instance, in the translation of Charles Wesley's classic and beloved hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? The first, as we came here, as I was called to be your pastor, and the, the previous, I've been in the Trinity hymnal for years. I know the Trinity hymnal. I love the Trinity hymnal, but I've been in a church that wasn't using the Trinity hymnal, and so I had to relearn some words. And in uh, Wesley's original hymn, And Can It Be, there's a line that says, He, Jesus, left his Father's throne above, so free, so intimate, grace, emptied himself. What comes next? Emptied himself, the original says, of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. The Trinity hymnal says, emptied himself, not of all but love, but so great his love, and bled for all his chosen race. Our Calvinist is coming out strong. And Wesley was not a Calvinist. Uh, that's an edit. But the point is, Philippians 2, 6, explain what does it mean to empty himself? Well, we can't say emptied himself of all but love, right? Because he was more than love, so we have to say emptied himself so great his love. It was because of his love, in other words, that he emptied himself. What does it mean, though, that he became poor, that he emptied himself? It means, Philippians 2.6, it explains it. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was and is God. He had every divine right as God, but he chose not to access those rights. God is rich. Jesus became poor. God is powerful. Jesus became weak. God is eternal. Jesus chose to die. On the cross, the one who is rich beyond all splendor was sent away empty. One of his last sayings on the cross was, I thirst. Don't think that just means he wanted a drink of water. That's not the point. The point was he was emptying himself for us. He was saying, I'm being sent away empty so I can fill you up. I'm taking the wrath of God so that you can have the grace of God. I'm being pushed off the mountain so that you can find true meaning. I'm drinking sand so that you can have true water. 
I'm gobbling down poison so that you can have true food. I'm giving up everything I deserve so that you can have everything you don't deserve. That's his emptying of himself on the cross. There's a story that Dan Clark wrote, short story, called The Circus. It's a true story that he experienced. And he said, once when I was a teenager, my father and I were standing in line to buy tickets for the circus. Finally, there was only one other family between us and the ticket counter. This family made a big impression on me. There were eight children, all probably under the age of 12. The way they were dressed, you could tell they didn't have a lot of money, but their clothes were neat and clean. The children were well-behaved, all of them standing in line, two by two, behind their parents, holding hands. They were excitedly jabbering about the clowns, animals, and all the acts they would be seeing that night. By their excitement, you could sense that they had never been to the circus before. It would be a highlight of their lives. The father and mother were at the head of the pack, standing proud as could be. The mother was holding her husband's hand, looking at him as if to say, You're my knight in shining armor. He was smiling and enjoying seeing his family happy. The ticket lady asked the man how many tickets he wanted. He proudly responded, I'd like to buy eight children's tickets and two adult tickets so I can take my family to the circus. The ticket lady stated the price. The man's wife let go of his hand. Her head dropped. The man's lip began to quiver. Then he leaned a little closer and asked, How much did you say? The ticket lady again stated the price. The man didn't have enough money. How was he supposed to turn and tell eight kids that he didn't have enough money to take them to the circus? Seeing what was going on, my dad reached into his pocket, pulled out a $20 bill, and then dropped it on the ground. We were not wealthy in any sense of the word. But my father bent down, picked up that $20 bill, tapped the man on the shoulder, and said, Excuse me, sir. I think this fell out of your pocket. The man understood what was going on. He wasn't begging for a handout, but certainly appreciated the help in a desperate, heartbreaking, and embarrassing situation. He looked straight into my dad's eyes, took my dad's hand in both of his, squeezed tightly onto that $20 bill, and with his lip quivering and tears streaming down his cheek, he said, Thank you. Thank you, sir. This really means a lot to me and my family. My father and I went back to our car and drove home. That $20 that my dad gave away is what we were going to use to buy our own tickets with. See, on the cross, Jesus didn't just drop a $20 bill on the ground to pay your way. He emptied himself. He gave up everything. He laid it all down and said, pick it up. I'll pay your way. St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless till they find rest in Christ. And see, that's it. If you have a restless, longing heart this morning, 
and you're looking for every fill-up that you can possibly find, this is the answer. Jesus gave up everything so that he could give us everything. If you come to Jesus full, he'll send you away empty. But if you come to Jesus empty, he'll send you away full. And then you can start to live out of that fullness. Come to him empty. Let him fill you up. And use that fullness that he's given you now to fill others up, to give. Dan Clark ends his story about the circus. Although we didn't get to see the circus that night, my father and I both felt a joy inside us that was far greater than seeing the circus could ever provide. That day, I learned the value of giving. The giver is bigger than the receiver. If you want to be large, larger than life, learn to give. And you say, what can I give? I'm not Jesus. We were singing once in Royal David City earlier. I had forgotten about that middle stanza about how good uh, children of Christians have to be. They have to obey. Some of y'all noticed that too. (laughs) Meek and mild, just like Jesus, we've got to obey. He's like, no. I can't do that. No. We can't. But what we can do is take our empty selves to Jesus. Let him fill us up and simply open up our hands. What can we give? Only what we've received. And in the arms of our dear Savior, there are 10,000 charms waiting for us to take. Come to him full, you'll leave empty. Come to him empty, you'll leave this place full. Let us pray. Father, we are empty sinners in need of a full Savior. So as, we, as the psalm says, like a baby bird, we open our mouths and ask you to fill them. We open our hearts and ask you to fill them. We open our souls and ask you to fill them with the wonder, not just of Christmas, but of the Christ of Christmas, who loved us and gave himself for us, who emptied himself so great his love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Help us boldly to approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ our own. Amazing love. How can it be that Christ our God should die for us? Lord, as we sing joy to the world, would you fill our hearts with joy at the coming of our Savior, our Savior who's coming again. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together now and sing hymn number 195, Joy to the World, the Lord has come.
look forward to seeing you back tonight for our candlelight and communion service. Until then, leave with God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.